Welcome to episode four of the Voices of a Healthy Ocean series. I am your co-host, Jenna Valente. And I am your co-host, Sarah Winter Whelan. As we noted last episode, Baltimore is kind of the star of the show during this road trip. We are still here. We are having the best day today with Amber Doherty and Maggie Ostel of the National Aquarium. And we are actually fresh off of exploring their community garden and touring their animal care and rescue center. Um, and we have Amber here with us now. And Maggie will pop in later toward the end to share some of the great work that, that she's doing. But Amber, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Will you tell us a little bit more about your role at the aquarium? Sure. I am the conservation community coordinator in the neighborhood of Jonestown. Uh, so my department is conservation community engagement. So we, um, I like to say we bloom where we were planted. So mm. the aquarium has a physical presence with our animal care and rescue center here in Jonestown. And so because of that, they hired me to go in with two ears and one mouth to see what the community needs us to do. That's incredible. Can you explore some of those places that we explored today a little bit for our listeners? Sure, of course. Um, so one of the main uh, projects that I've taken on in Jonestown is care of the Exeter Street Community Garden. So that was a community garden started by neighbors um, to beautify what had been an old bar that got knocked down. So community came together about seven or eight years ago to uh, establish a garden and have a place to grow healthy foods and just to have um, a little bit more greenery in a very, very developed city. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking about our experience there this morning and it just is such a special place. It's so beautiful and lush and I feel like you had such a great wealth of knowledge of everything there and we got to try little treats and eat new things and have these different experiences and I feel like because you get to go there so often mm -hmm. there's probably something that you love most about the yeah. place yeah is there something that's like particularly special to you as it relates yeah. to the community garden one of my favorite things is like you said having people eat their way around the garden just uh sniffing things and trying leaves because that's how humans recognize food. We watched animals sniff stuff and eat it. Um, and so that's how we knew that it wasn't poisonous, right? Yeah. So just going through and helping people have that sensory experience, uh, just to observe the world around them a little bit more. Because once you know the smell of a tomato plant or the shape of a squash leaf mm -hmm. or the shape of a pepper leaf, you can walk into pretty much any garden and say, oh, that's going to be some type of squash. That's going to be some kind of pepper or I smell tomatoes over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so powerful as a way to connect to nature and make it more familiar for mm. folks, for anyone. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what are your favorite ways to connect with nature? Oh, my favorite ways to connect with nature. That's interesting. Um, I... I have very much appreciated um, having working in a garden as part of my job. I think it definitely helped get me through 2020 and all of those big hard feelings everyone was having. Oh, yeah. Because um, we didn't know where it was safe, but playing in the dirt and creating food for people felt like something I should do. 
Um, but usually the way I experience nature is, is alongside my dog. I have a big old hunting dog that just likes chasing rabbits and squirrels and sniffing in new places. So taking him out and just going for good long walks. We've got Leakin Park here in Baltimore, which I believe is the largest forest in a city in the United States. Wow. Well, that sounds... <laughs> Perhaps you need some fact checking don't, on that one. Don't fact check it, just believe it. Right? Yeah. Just, <laughs> just, just listen to it in your heart. Doesn't it feel true? It feels right. <laughs> feels right to me. You say something confident enough, totally makes it true. <laughs> That's not wrong. <laughs> you said it with authority, so I guess, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I Shout out to our, our four-legged friends. That's also one of my favorite ways to connect with nature is, is taking my pup out for a walk, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this podcast is, it's like, because the Healthy Ocean Coalition is is the the like host of it, we like to talk about the ocean here. But I recognize mm-hmm. we're also sitting right next to the Chesapeake Bay, the Inner Harbor. Yes. Um. So maybe we we broaden it a little bit to explore what are some of the things that you love either about the ocean or the Chesapeake Bay, or it could even be like a piece of nature in your backyard. Oh, I'm more inclined to go Chesapeake Bay route because of all of the meaningful watershed experiences that we try to have people have here. Um, For example, so the neighborhood here is called Jonestown, and that is because back in 1802, there was a guy named David Jones who settled on the other side of a river from Baltimore town. It used to be two words because it was just the inner harbor proper. And so we are um, Baltimore's first neighborhood because it became a city and boom, look, you're just on the other side of the water. You're part of us now. And so it was called Jonestown. And that body of water is called Jones Falls. Like we have a whole Jones Falls expressway. Um, So the watershed here like how we're connected by water is very felt in jonestown because we've got this body of water that flows through baltimore that empties into the harbor that is really um the heart of why our city was established and so what does um to sort of stay in that vein but take it one step further what to you does a healthy environment mean what does a healthy inner harbor or Um, Chesapeake Bay. What does that look like maybe to you? Yeah. um, I think a healthy harbor or a healthy Chesapeake Bay to a healthy ocean, all of those look a little bit more like some of the conservation practices that we put in place. For example, uh, the aquarium has a whole floating wetlands project. Mm. Our building straddles, um, we have two separate buildings, one on Pier 3 of the Inner Harbor and one on Pier 4, connected by a walkway. Mm -hmm. And so in between those slips um, is water. And we have pioneered floating wetlands to be able to serve as an oxygen oxygen source for uh, our animal friends, Mm -hmm. um, and as nursery habitat for those uh, shallow water species, because there used to be a bit more of a transition between water Mm -hmm. and land, not just a giant 50-foot wall. Right. (laughs) Oddly enough, crabs didn't mature and develop along a 50-foot wall. So it's nicer. uh, 
aesthetically for humans, it's much more aesthetically pleasing to have little floating islands there with wildlife, but then it's just doing, um, I don't want to say reparations, but um, it's, it's reestablishing the mm -hmm. habitat that we realized that we, we took away from the species that we now put so much importance on. Mm -hmm. You know, humans are all about move fast and break stuff. Yes. Uh, and then we start looking back sure. and saying, oh no, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean to break that one. <laughs> How do we fix that? Oh, yeah. That shouldn't have broken. Turns out that was, <laughs> turns out we really liked oysters and we sort of want them back. Yes. Yes. So it feels like so far a little bit how what we've talked about is your connection as being both um, community building and um, around how the aquarium fits in and is part of the community. And I wonder, is that something that has always been in your heart, like in your career path? I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what influenced you to find this career path and get you to where you are in this really cool space that you hold in the aquarium. Yeah. Um, oh, my path is very nonlinear. Um, I grew up uh, an environmentalist, very much, um, you know, help spearhead high school recycling programs and that kind of thing. Um, my grandma always had a garden that we were practicing in constantly. Um, people are always worried about coming to the garden and gardening. They're like, oh no, I have the opposite of a green thumb and I'll, I'll kill everything. And I'm like, that's a secret. <laughs> we, just, we just let it die and figure out why it died and maybe try not to do it the next time. Like it's very... Um, learning process. It's a great learning yeah. process. It's very mistake friendly. Mm -hmm. So I, I've always been an outdoorsy kind of person, just liking walks and hikes and camping. Um, but then in college, I really went towards uh, sustainability and especially like social sustainability, the, not, the um, sort of the dimension of sustainability that could uh, relate to our social dimension. Like we know what animals need. We know what the air needs. We know what the water needs, but, um, other than, you know, Maslow or Max Neff, we haven't really referenced what humans need to be able to develop. Um, and so I was very pulled into community and how um, nurturing groups of humans work together to um, make each other more resilient, make people stronger. So I got very into uh, placemaking and doing place-based uh, community development. Um, and that's how I wound up here. I was. I was off doing stuff in the um, philanthropic world, uh, trying to get more support to social entrepreneurs. And then I realized that I was helping people be funded for the stuff I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I found this and it was the perfect intersection of getting my hands dirty and helping go osprey banding and um, just working with people and teaching kids. I think one of the things I admire the most about the work that you all do at the National Aquarium is your focus on community and the projects that you have in place here and the projects that you're 
always developing. It's mm-hmm. like there, it feels like you all are putting so much of yourselves back into this community that also gives you a lot. Um, and so I, I want to talk about the, some of the community projects that you all are working on, but it might be, I think it'd be really interesting for listeners to set this the stage of where we're all sitting right now because we're in a pretty remarkable building and you all do some really great work here too. Yeah. Will you describe uh, for the listeners, what is this animal care and rescue center all about? All right. Uh, spoilers for those who have not seen Finding Dory. If you have, however, this is like the outbuilding where they found her parents. So uh, at the Animal Care and Rescue Center, we, that's what we do. We uh, this building houses our seal rescue program our sea turtle rescue is still done at the main building of the aquarium but so we've got our seal rescue and this is also the first stop um, for animals coming in to be on exhibit we bring them in make sure they don't have any diseases or parasites or bacteria on them that's going to hurt anybody else that we already have in our building our animal staff watches them to examine their behaviors and figure out what those patterns of behavior are and how they might be interacting with the other animals on exhibit. So we have animal care staff, we've got our seal rescue staff, we've also got our exhibits and design team, which are, well, in conjunction with our plumbing team slash life support team, the exhibits and design team is one of the least sung heroes of uh, the aquarium. They're the ones that create all the false coral throughout the building, that paint the beautiful backdrops, that um, create the atmosphere and the habitat that feels appropriate for whatever animal is on exhibit. Um, and then there's little or less, the community engagement and field conservation teams. Uh, we use this as our hub to deploy. Our field team goes down to Virginia Beach and works with the Navy. We um, work on places all along the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and then my team works here in Jonestown, but then we also uh, have a presence in South Baltimore where we are part of a Masonville Cove partnership. Yeah, will you share more about that the Masonville Cove partnership and then some of the other community projects that you all are working on? Sure. Uh, so Masonville Cove is a partnership between five different organizations. So there's the Aquarium, there's the Port Authority of Baltimore, there's Living Classrooms, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Maryland Environmental Service. Between the five organizations, it runs a 50-some acre land and 200-some acre water. Mm. Masonville Cove was just awarded their easement, uh, so that way it can stay a wildlife refuge in perpetuity. And so out of Masonville Cove, it's got a building and education center where uh, Living Classrooms does a lot of programming. They're a fun environmental focused school Mm -hmm. in Baltimore. Oh, wow. And we do a lot of shoreline cleanups. We help plant the... um, the sedges and the wetland grasses to reestablish coastline there. And my favorite part about working at Masonville Cove, or out of Masonville Cove rather, is uh, BioBlitz. So. Yes, please tell us what is a BioBlitz. For the uninitiated, <laughs> uh, <laughs> BioBlitz is a fun day for 
<laughs> ecological nerds yes. i think our tag our tagline for it is bio blitz get nerdy with nature <laughs> like i love it t-shirt uh, trademark <laughs> right trademark right registered yep. <laughs> uh and so during that throughout the you know 50 acres of uh, masonville cove we'll have different taxa tables so you'll have your insect table mm-hmm. your amphibious table you'll have your reptiles you'll have different um stations so you can really drill down on what are the plants here what are these trees what type of mammal life mm-hmm. lives around here what are the birds doing uh so it's a fun day to explore the site and get a real sense of what wildlife we're actually helping mm-hmm. to keep space for uh, and who does a bio blitz? Is it for the school that's a part of this project? Is it's it... a community-wide event. Okay. Um, it's when the site is open to the general public, and we have our own listservs that we put stuff out on. Anybody mm. that knows Masonville Cove, you know, we talk to the local Sierra Club, um, oh, cool. Climate Reality Corps, like all the little, yeah. you know, the yeah. environmental hotspots. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we say, hey, do you want to come look at bugs with us? <laughs> yes. I saw my first Lone Star tick a couple years ago there. Mm. <laughs> Which is fine for me because I already don't eat meat, mm. so it's no harm, no foul if I get bit. <laughs> you know, it takes all kinds to make a world go round, mm-hmm. and sometimes those kinds are spiders and snakes, and they're also yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that's such a, it feels like such a unique project for an aquarium to be part of and it really shows the investment in in community mm-hmm. and I know that's one piece of what it's like to work at an aquarium I wonder if you can talk about some of the other pieces because you know um, I think for our listeners they probably don't know what it's like to work with well, they don't most of you most of us I don't what is it like to work at an aquarium um, you know I think that I'm sure day-to-day can look very different, so give us a little snapshot. Yeah, so day-to-day, I, I work out of this building or, mm-hmm. you know, pandemic, sometime at home, too. Um, and so I get to walk through a building and pop my head, head in on, you know, pig-nosed turtles named... <laughs> named Funzo and who is really cute by the way we got to adorable. see him today <laughs> very cute and you know I get to go out and wander over and stare at sharks for a minute mm-hmm. so uh sometimes the magic of working in an aquarium can get lost on me mm. because you know if I'm working from home or if we're putting together an outside event your world can still be very much your computer, mm-hmm. but then you turn around or for me, since this is a separate building, it's like a 15 minute walk over to the main building. Mm-hmm. If I have a meeting over there, that's when it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I work in an aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to, to have the excuse to go visit mm-hmm. sort of the more, more touristy part. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm like sitting here just thinking about, like, I, I love this area so much. And I feel like all the listeners hear me say this often have, I used to live down here and I miss it. And now I'm like overwhelmed with this sense of nostalgia being back and visiting. And I just think the Chesapeake Bay watershed is so fascinating. Um, and the interconnectedness of this place of mm-hmm. the cities and the agricultural land and the rivers that turn into the tributaries that go mm-hmm. into the bay that go into the ocean and um 
I'm just wondering if for, for listeners that might not be familiar with this area, yeah. if you could just share some thoughts on like what makes this area special. Like what do you really like about the Chesapeake Bay watershed or, um, you know, and just how it's all connected from, yeah. from land to bay to sea? That's a great question because I am a Midwesterner. I grew up in Indiana. So is Sarah. And my mom's from Michigan. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> Illinois, right here. Right? So yes. my ocean was a real big lake. Uh-huh. <laughs> that looked like an ocean. That looked like an ocean because yes. there's waves and stuff and I can't see the other side. So yes. it's an ocean and you can't tell me different. Inland ocean. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Agreement. Um, but like the Chesapeake Bay is real cool because driving from outside in there's signs on y'all's highways about <laughs> entering the chesapeake bay watershed mm. like people here are just like no no this is where it starts your water comes from here and that is a fascinating way to look at it like where does your water come from who's who are you water bonded with you know mm-hmm. we got five states in this where we're connected through this water. What you wash your car with in Pennsylvania makes a difference mm-hmm. to the water quality in Baltimore. So um, I think just that um, regional perspective, I think because it was one of the first developed, therefore probably just most overfished, highly polluted, when folks around here rallied to start protecting the oysters and restoring the bay Mm -hmm. um, I think it created a very personal connection for a lot of people there are still several subsistence there are still subsistence fishermen that fish off of the local bridges and stuff you know this close inland you're not supposed to eat more than one of those a year but I mean that's the way some people still feed their families because that's the way their parents did and their parents before him did um and i think that's an important thing to not lose especially because it's not just white folks you know it's like there's latinas and black folks and just a lot of people that live in this region and who have ties and ties and ties to the water Mm um yeah yeah, I think that, so when I moved down here, I feel like it was, it was like almost overwhelming, the sense of pride yes. that people have in the Chesapeake Bay that live in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Yeah. To the point where like, I don't know if in my life, and maybe it's like this in the Midwest with the Great Lakes, I can see that. A bit. Um, but people being like, yeah, that's my estuary, like biggest estuary in the United States. Like, right? you, you, you know, Who like, knows like that? what is that? <laughs> like, I, you know, Maine is a very environmental, like, yeah. you know, a lot of places have ties to land and it's so deep, mm-hmm. like deeply ingrained in the culture. But like, I can't think of anything yeah. like that in New England even where people are like, yeah, like we all love this. We all might believe different things and come from different backgrounds, but like we're all in. We're on in on this. the bay. Yeah. yeah, and it's just it's a really beautiful thing. Uh, this area is so so special yeah. for sure. And that is a credit to all of the environmental activists that have come before us because it took a lot of groundwork to mm-hmm. take the bay as it's it was going down 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 to reach that breaking point to recruit. Um, watermen and to talk to the anglers and to really get 
get it on people's soul yeah um and to develop that relationship where no we're all a united front on protecting the bay we know what it does yeah do you think that speaks to the power of community and community building which is part of what your work is with the community garden would you say i mean a thousand percent i if i didn't believe in the power of community i would not be doing this job yeah um and it's also a testimony to how long community building can mm-hmm. take as I mean we've been working on the bay for 40 years yeah. um, and before you know that 40 years there's another 15 20 years of people like just laying the groundwork to get things started yeah um, and it it's sort of why I love the idea of placemaking community mm-hmm. building because we share water we're sharing land you know mm-hmm. we've all got the same electrical grid Um, so it's all about making sure we all talk to each other and continue to come together as neighbors, um, and as just people that hold a space together. Yeah. So when we think about that groundwork that was laid like 40, 50 years ago for Bay restoration, I'm wondering if you have a vision for something like the community garden, Mm -hmm. like what, what in 40 or 50 years do you hope that that looks like? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> My big, hairy, audacious goals. What it is? Yes. Well, um, so our community garden's on what, like a quarter acre or something? Because mm-hmm. it's just the footprint of what one, one townhome would have been. But it's next door to a large alley that never got paved. You know, there's a plum tree in the middle of it. Right. Um, and so with the garden, I am working towards... making that next door alley space into a just a chill hangout play space for our local youth because with the closing of rec centers the being pushed out of you know mall food courts and Mm -hmm. you can't hang out with more than three people so uh i i would love to just hold a space for young people to just be young people and hang out Mm -hmm. somewhere without being shooed off automatically right I wonder if you could speak a little bit to your thoughts of the power of community building um, and what do you feel can be achieved when people are actually supporting each other and lifting each other up in that way? Yeah. Everything. I mean, that's that's really the only way yeah. anything does get done is by people coming together and calling it a priority mm-hmm. and working on it as a priority. Um, And the basis really for any good community is just acknowledgement. You know, if you're a person who tunnels in from your car to your house and doesn't really look up, doesn't particularly go outside, you never sit outside on your front porch and then you wonder why you didn't get the invite to the local block party, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that might be on you, boo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Truth. So you've got to get out there and know your neighbors. I mean, and that's, we were talking about the garden, um, and my boss was talking about how her garden is oversupplying, and well, tomorrow we've got a big meeting between our departments, and I'm like, well, why don't we just have anybody who is growing stuff Mm -hmm. bring in, we'll do a produce swap, because that's, it's those small things, it's saying, I have too many zucchini. (laughs) (laughs) And finding the people who will eat that zucchini. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
impromptu community building during a staff meeting. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, in a different way. And it's the reminders of all the community that we have built out of our lives mm-hmm. as Americans in 2022. Um, you know, we've got six lane roads and then we wonder why kids don't ride bikes. Yeah. Like, we yeah. have engineered ourselves away from having actual community connections. Um, and now I think there's a lot of us working to reforge those. Yeah, right. It kind of goes back to what you were talking about when um, you were speaking to, oh, shoot, we broke nature. Yeah. We didn't mean to do that. It's like, oh, we broke community. We broke ourselves. We, we didn't mean to do that. And now we're recognizing the power that that has and how necessary it is to actually lead full lives and connect with each other. Exactly. It's sort of like, I don't know if you've heard of the study, it's the the rat study where you put a rat by itself in a cage and you give it one regular water bottle and Mm -hmm. one water bottle with cocaine in it Mm -hmm. and it keeps drinking from the cocaine water bottle until it dies. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, wow, that's addiction. It'll get you. Yeah. But what it really is, is you take a rat and you put it in a place where it's got other rats to hang out with and you know whatever rat you want to have babies with uh it's got some food source it's got the regular water it's got the cocaine water but Mm -hmm. it's got all its little rat enrichments yeah it's got rat community it's got rat community they don't really touch the cocaine water every once in a while a couple of them be like okay maybe try (laughs) but like it's it's not the constant addiction that you see in the other and what we've done is built ourselves poor rat cages yes (laughs) and now we've we've got to work our way out of it yeah because you can't as much as i love technology it's bringing us closer i'm addicted to podcasts hello fellow people (laughs) um but if you think about it, you know, you're standing in your kitchen, you're listening to your podcast while you're doing dishes. In the 40s and 50s, you'd be on the phone with mm-hmm. the person down the street who's also standing around washing dishes and just like chit-chatting it up. Um, so there's just a lot of separations between humans right now. And I think we're recognizing that that's not sustainable. Yeah, we're starved for that human connection and that feeling of belonging. I think yeah. that's such a primal part of ourselves is wanting to fit in and feel loved and that we belong in some sort of community and you know throughout this conversation i'm sort of thinking about like whether it's a community garden that you're growing or a community that you're growing in the work that we do with the healthy ocean coalition i think some of the most fulfilling moments are when you see that growth right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. in the advocates that we work with or if it's in a garden that you're you're planting. Yeah. I'm wondering if like do you feel the same way? Like what are some of the most fulfilling parts of the role that you have here at the aquarium? Uh Oh man, this is going to sound cheesy or like a weird <laughs> corporate okay. line. We can get cheesy with it. We can get a little sappy. Um inspiring wonder a thousand percent. Uh, So the aquarium's mission is to inspire conservation of the world's aquatic treasures. Um, And I I think I'm right on the cutting edge of the inspiration. Um, You know, if 
if it's not an in-building inspiration, like, oh my goodness, a dolphin, you know, that's what a jellyfish looks like, you know, um, the animals are inspiring as well. It's not just me. Um, but like, I'm the one there trying to get kids to not scream and run away flailing at a bumblebee. Uh, I'm the one trying to help them figure out iNaturalist on our iPads and see what this clover is or what that weird berry is. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, that could be life-changing for folks, right? To have yeah. an experience with the aquarium or the programs at the aquarium mm -hmm. or to realize that that big as you called it earlier that big blimp of a of a carpenter bee is not actually as scary as it looks yeah. um and i think that that's a really important experience for a lot of people to have and it's mm -hmm. it's just incredible work that you all are doing and i imagine it's also not easy work sometimes and i think some of the the biggest growth that we can have as professionals as human beings as a community are found in some of those more challenging moments. Yes. So I'm curious to hear a little more about like what are some of the bigger bigger challenges that you face um, in mm. doing this work. Oh, the biggest challenge is always time and attention. Um, everyone has too many demands on their time and on their attention. Uh, and as as much as I love it conservation work is sort of sweaty and gross <laughs> like like it gets swampy in the summer in Baltimore and I'm like let's go weeding and they're like no it's gross and I get that um so I think that that's one of the the biggest hurdles are you know if it's not something someone already wants to do if it's something you have to talk them into you're already starting a little bit behind um so that runs the same from doing a program at a garden to uh, having a community meeting. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really about asking for people's time and attention appropriately. We've gone to virtual meetings for our general community ones, um, and I think we're going back to in-person. But when we do in-person, mm -hmm. we usually have a space for children. You know, like, here's a kid's playroom, and we'll have an adult in there. Uh, we'll have snacks because and we'll, we'll have the meeting start at seven o'clock. Mm -hmm. So that way, if you get off at five and it takes you two hours because of your bus commute um, to get there, like there's, we try to um, meet people where they are mm -hmm. and really just knock down any of those um, hurdles to participation. That's so important. So we talked a little bit about the challenging aspects of the work that you do, but what, sustained you what are some of the more rewarding aspects and that bring you joy in this space I love watching a plan come together um, I I love it I love gathering people um, I'm a big community event person so I am always restored when there's a group of people and we start talking about what we can do and what we want to do, um, or just coming together to celebrate, really. Um, one of the things that we've heard from neighbors is that they want more block parties, just reasons to gather and hang out. And so we've been trying to do that. As, uh, as part of my role, I work with the Historic Jonestown Community Association. So. I trade a lot of different hats on at the same time. So with my historic Jonestown hat on, we tried to do a lot of block parties and community events um, 
helping out uh, the Albemarle Square folks um, and do programming out of their leasing office. It really, uh, yeah, it's been a neighborhood desire to have just just times for people to come together. And so I think watching folks come together and make things happen um, or just be generally enthused about their neighborhood um, is definitely one of the things that keeps me going. But the other one is a, a story I told earlier in the garden um, about a little boy during one of our um, community garden days was playing in the dirt and then said, oh, I just love coming to the garden. It just fills my soul with peace. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I love it. <laughs> it's like we also need t-shirts that say that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Um, so how can people follow along with the work that you're doing and the work that the National Aquarium is doing? Great question. <laughs> uh, well, we have our conservation newsletter through aqua.org. That's the National Aquarium's website. And there are various newsletters you can follow along with the conservation newsletter to see what we're doing. Um, I would also suggest looking at the dolphin journey as we try to prepare them for moving to a sanctuary. Don't ask me more questions on that. <laughs> well, we ask the tough questions here on this podcast. Please so don't dive deeper up. than that because yeah. I don't know much. I can mention well, it. Yeah. Excellent. That's all we, that's all we're asking uh, just to mention it. And if people want to learn more then you can, figure it out <laughs> you can google and that's what google's for yeah. google go to the website <laughs> yep i think yeah there are several newsletters uh through aqua.org uh we have one from basically every department so depending on interest you can see what what we're up to yeah how but then about, if you oh. oh how about the social media folks yes uh for <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we're, uh, National Aquarium is on all social media platforms, Excellent. searchable from National Aquarium. And then the Exeter Street Community Garden is on Instagram and Facebook, managed very poorly by yours truly. <laughs> <laughs> but it is there. It is there. Um, so we actually have a, a kind of a special little... We're taking a little side trail on this podcast right over to Maggie, who's been sitting here this whole time, like our, our lovely audience. And um, so Maggie actually was on the Sea Change podcast, the like sister show to this little mini series many years ago. So some of you may be familiar. And uh, the National Aquarium and Maggie are, are working on some really important um pieces of policy as it relates to turtle conservation and funding and as you can hear I'm sort of like stumbling over my words trying to find them as I'm looking at Maggie who can explain it a lot better than I can so I would love to offer some airspace for Maggie to share with the listeners about the work that you're doing and and how they can get involved. Um, thank you. And it's, it's been really fun to sit and listen, you know, to a lot of this conversation, um, because it, it, it will help me to, to do what I do in the aquarium, which is, um, and I should step back. Uh, I'm Maggie Ostall. I'm the conservation policy manager at National Aquarium. Um, and I really enjoy, I've enjoyed really listening to some of this conversation because I've learned things, um, about 
a very busy dynamic organization that always has a ton of stuff going on. And that's really important for me in my role as, as really kind of advocating in, in our in our world of inspiring conservation of the world's aquatic treasures and you know really trying to focus around our goals of combating climate change and stopping plastic pollution and saving wildlife and habitats you know we are advocating on a lot of issues at all levels of government local state and federal um, and it helps to know a little bit at least a little bit about a lot of things that is going that is has happening around National Aquarium and with our various partners, um, and so so thank you for this conversation um, and letting me listen in on a little bit of it. Um, I'm excited today to talk about one aspect of that. You know, along with other aquariums, um, many other partners throughout the Association of Susan Aquariums, many other organizations like Healthy Ocean Coalition and partners. Um, you know. Uh, we work with a number of aquariums as through the Aquarium Conservation Partnership. Um, we are we are trying to, you know, change the way humanity cares for our ocean planet because, as we all know, we're all connected to water. We all depend on water in some way, shape, or form. Um, and you know, one of the issues that we've been working on quite a lot over the past couple of years is really to improve support and resources for. Um, uh, for sea turtle rescue and re rehabilitation. You heard a little bit earlier, you know, we, we have a sea turtle rescue program. We're one of many organizations around the country that um, is permitted through federal agencies and state partners um, to be able to respond to and take care of injured sea turtles, all of which are listed as threatened or endangered under the Endangered Species Act in the U.S. Um, you know, what we're trying to do is if if there is a turtle who is injured but you know is still alive there are many there are many um, experts in our own organization and around the country and around the world who are trying to help help that turtle to get well and to go back to its ocean home that's the that's the ultimate goal and as you can imagine that that can take a considerable amount of time and resources and it takes a lot of people it takes a community it takes team turtles <laughs> in some way shape <laughs> or form to come together and you know if there's a couple thousand turtles who have a mass cold stunning event turtles can even though they're reptiles and they're cold-blooded um, sea turtles can be shocked by a sudden drop in temperatures which in some places of the ocean is increasing in large part probably due to to warming temperatures and um, and and the dynamics of the ocean essentially climate change is also affecting you know temperature change in the ocean and sea surface temperature change and sea turtles can can cold stun and then they can in their thousands sometimes be stranded and require a lot of rapid medical attention sometimes that's becoming a regular occurrence in some places um, anyway we are part of a network. <laughs> anyway, You're going to have to. No, 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 this is perfect because the background's necessary. Right? Sometimes it's so nice to hear the story, right? And so it is and it's important to understand why why you're going to say what you're going to say next. <laughs> like we needed to know how we got to this point right. mm -hmm. to give the context as to why people should care and give like a look behind the curtain of like how people actually manage Sea turtle strandings. I don't think a lot of people spend their time thinking about that. <laughs> I didn't a few years ago, and it's so interesting because, again, you know, I think I think that the lovely thing is that I mean, turtles are one of those sea turtles, and there are many many cool kinds of turtles. But I spent a lot of time, along with many other people, thinking about sea turtles, of which there are a number of different species. They, I mean, they've been y'all. They've been around since before the dinosaurs, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are 
life forms that have been on this planet longer than than humans right they've they've been here for so long and they're they're despite a number of threats many of which are coming from our species you know they are hanging on right mm-hmm. and so to to me and I, I think a lot of others it it behooves us to take care of them we don't want turtles to go extinct on our watch no, um, and one of the watch. many 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 ways one of the many jigsaw pieces of the big sea turtle conservation puzzle is sea turtle rescue and rehabilitation and you know so so time and resources time and attention it takes it takes a village to you know get sea turtles well and get them back in the ocean and one thing that we've realized over the past couple years is that you know in the U.S. system, unlike marine mammals, where there is a, a pretty solid federal grant program that you know helps the many organizations that are that are taking care of marine mammals or responding to you know stranded marine mammals out there, or seals like we have a seal rescue, there is not a comparable source of um, a, like a federal grant program. Um, that has funding directly available to organizations like ours who are, you know, voluntarily committing time and resources and expertise to get sea turtles well again and get them back to their ocean home. And so one thing that we've been really excited to work on with the New England Aquarium, with South Carolina Aquarium, with many, many other organizations around the country um, is is to try to create this program, is to try to create a new federal program, um, which, you know, one way we've done that is through the federal appropriations process. And I am not going to talk about the federal budget process on this (laughs) podcast because I don't want to. But going to be somebody's like nighttime, you know, how they have those like ASMR videos. It's like I'm also not signing up for an ASMR video first, on the federal budget process. The first Monday in February yeah, is I'm, when we get the president's budget. Thousand percent. Listen to you in a neutral voice going through the budgeting process. It's it's but good to have dreams. So oftentimes the president misses that first dreams. February Monday in February deadline. <laughs> so. In addition to an appropriations process for the federal budget, um, there is also the pathway of authorizing legislation. And so we're very excited that um, thanks thanks in large part to the leadership of Senator Van Hollen in Maryland through the federal appropriations process, um, and now thanks to the leadership of members of Congress like Senator Markey in New England and, um, excuse me, in Massachusetts and Congressman Keating, who is also out of Massachusetts, um, they have introduced Senate and House versions of the Sea Turtle Rescue Assistance Act, which would create a federal grant program specifically designed to make support available to organizations that are rescuing and rehabilitating sea turtles. And that legislation was introduced um, both in the House and the Senate around World Sea Turtle Day this past June. And um, it has good bipartisan support. More and more members of Congress are joining as co-sponsors from both sides of the aisle. And, you know, I think it is, again, a testament to building community. People want sea turtles to get back to their ocean home, and this is one way to help them. And so right now we're the call to action here is really to, you know, ask your members of Congress if they support the Sea Turtle Rescue Assistance Act, um, thank them if they do, and they have, um, and if they haven't yet joined as co-sponsors, uh, encourage them to, to add their to add their voice to the Sea Turtle Rescue Assistance Act. Thank you, Maggie, both for the call to action and also for all the work you're doing on this. It's, it's so important and we're just super appreciative. I know that a lot of the organizations that do the, the stranding response work 
maybe are these like unsung heroes and um, don't get the recognition that they necessarily deserve. And it's really important. I mean, you know, this is one. This is this is sea turtle. F- this is endangered species funding policy it's a bit of a niche um but you know it's building on it's building on the work of hundreds thousands really countless people who have spent their careers you know studying turtles caring for turtles you know this is complementary to the work that entire communities do to help you know uh, restore nesting habitat for sea turtles to, you know, uh, find ways around egg poaching in, in places where turtles are nesting to turn off lights on beaches so that turtles have a better habitat for nesting. All of, those are all other pieces of the puzzle. This is just one other piece of the puzzle and it builds on the work of so many people. And so it's really just kind of an honor to be a part of that. Yeah, so this is like a this is gonna be like another scenic route off of our little scenic route is that what you just reminded me of when I when I was working at Shinkatique National Wildlife Refuge during sea turtle nesting season, we used to have like twenty four hour watch. Someone was always near the nest because mm-hmm. there's a lighthouse on the refuge and our job was just to be there in case something nest like the nest hatched and we could turn all the hatchlings around because they would initially um so for listeners that aren't familiar a lot of turtles they'll they'll head to the light source and when you have um you know beaches that are close to developed areas where there's light that can be really confusing and really detrimental to sea turtle populations and so um you just sort of had this memory flashback in my mind and took me back to a really really pleasant time of just you know middle of the night looking at the stars waiting for the turtles to hatch (laughs) that sounds amazing what is my life right now (laughs) but yes thank you thank you maggie can i give one one quick example of the network that maggie was talking about so i was able to go on my very first maggie's done a couple times now um once turtle transport release um so you know if they're better and they need to go back in the ocean but it's February Mm -hmm. and they got brought in from a cold stun what do we want to do (laughs) put them in buddy (laughs) right just shove them in the bay good luck no 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 (laughs) Um, we drive them overnight to Florida Um, the northernmost beach that we can release at is near Cape Canaveral Um, and so this March um, we brought turtles of our own that we had eligible for release and then uh, folks drove from the New Jersey aquarium and I forget one other aquarium maybe somewhere in New York um, who had also rehabbed turtles and they were eligible for release those northern aquariums drove them down to us so we helped load them up and did their final push down to the ocean and so it's really it is really it's its own community thing from the people who care for these animals from the spotters that wander on beaches and say hey a turtle washed up um to the people that watch over hatchlings to you know the folks just putting up caution tape saying no these are turtle nesting grounds like it's there's a lot of moving parts to working with wildlife because wildlife moves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, it all circles back to this, this like thread that's weaving through our conversation of community, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly like the garden or what we're all doing with the aquarium or the Healthy Ocean Coalition with building community. 
Mm-hmm. There's a community out there that cares for the sea turtles and everybody, you know, often they don't get the credit that they deserve. So it's yeah. nice to be able to spend a little bit of time talking about that on, on our show. Yeah, because it's like, it takes all of us and doing our little part. And it's sort of, um, you know, America likes our big heroes, like the one person, our Martin Luther King yeah. Jr.'s is, you know? We love the bright, shiny person that we're like, yes, it was this person that has done it. And it's like- By themselves. <laughs> totally by themselves, totally did it. Just no <laughs> other help. No one helped them. <laughs> Newsflash, that is not how things work. No. Uh, <laughs> it never has been, never will be. Uh, so really, seeing that it's all these people it's you know you can be as involved in as you want you can take a night shift waiting for turtles or you can just call in when you spot one mm-hmm. um or you can call your members of congress and ask them to please take action yes boom got it nailed it that's it there she is <laughs> perfect yeah and so we always like to wrap up our episodes by asking everybody the same series of questions Ooh, so terrifying. Okay. Yeah. Very hard questions. They're actually like pretty broad and that's intentional because we like it's like a social experiment. We like to see where Ketchup. where you go with it. Sorry. What? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> that's it. We're done. Ketchup. Ketchup. <laughs> Can we tell it's lunchtime? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll start with what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we're facing? The most pressing. I don't know. The totality of it. I think all of the, the totality of all the environmental challenges Mm. is what's most pressing. And the fact that they all converge. Part of me says I refuse to pick one because you can't pick one without pulling it. It's like your necklaces all got stuck in a baggie and you're trying to pull one out, but there's like five more coming with it. You know, there are. And so like, I can't pick one without five more coming with it. It's just the whole thing and how it's all ensnared and interconnected Mm -hmm. and how we have to think on a, not just one kind of Mm -hmm. path. That's a perfect answer, actually. We should never ask that question again. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. Nailed it. I intentionally ask it because I I feel like that's how I would respond to it. But we talk to so many people with, like, very specific sets of expertise that you get a wide range of things. Sometimes you get the whole system out, like it's the whole system, it's all of these things, but then mm-hmm. sometimes you get really interesting stuff that's like, hey, I'm hyper-focused on this and everybody right. should know about this. I mean, so for like, me. It seems like a silly question, but it's like, I'm being silly on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> well, okay, and this is fully cuttable. Um, <laughs> the, uh, shoot, Ayana. Um, Elizabeth Johnson. Elizabeth Johnson, thank you. Um, she <laughs> was talking in her How to Save a Planet podcast, they interviewed kelp farmers and talked about like all the things you can do with kelp farming. Like Ooh. you can use the ribs and um, pickle them and it's essentially like a saltier pickle. And I'm like, I could get down with that. I have had it. It is delicious. So it's, there's stuff like that where I'm like, you know what I want more? Aquaculture. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I want to see? Capture waves. But mm-hmm. I think that's my answer is a very generalist answer because this is mm-hmm. what I do. I focus on how all the pictures come together mm-hmm. and where the like bigger nodes of change can happen. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I'm not a I'm not a specialist. Mm -hmm. I'm a generalist. Okay. Yeah. But it has those impacts, right, that reach out. So you pull on yeah. that one piece of that necklace, and maybe it brings up all these other challenges. But if you start to pull at that one, you're probably making progress in those other places. Exactly. Too. And the complicated part about that analogy is that there are multiple hands pulling at it, right. too. In you different know, ways. Like, that's what... Um, conversations like this are fantastic mm -hmm. I love going to conferences where there are people that are doing similar work to mine because it makes you remember that yeah I just have a ball peen hammer at this giant wall but there's like dozens of us with ball peen hammers yeah. against this wall yeah. Yeah. so eventually eventually all of us are going to knock it down yeah 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 that's a really great way to think about it um so what are you energized about moving forward finally reconnecting with people face to face again yes. that is a thousand percent it you can't take a community engagement person and put her in a house for two years yeah. it makes you crazy <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so hard. meeting with people and you know rubbing brains together that's that's where my happy space is you ready for another big sure big question <laughs> pizza <laughs> oh my god so it is lunchtime i am so, so sorry oh, I'm really tomatoes today. I, the community I garden had some great tomatoes. tomato snacks we got ketchup and we got pizza yeah. so i think that's that's maybe planting a seed for us for what we're gonna do for lunch <laughs> we are close to the neighborhood little italy so oh. pizza is possible well, that's like carb tomato combos in in little italy yes <laughs> all the variations yeah so you can answer this however you want, and maybe it's pizza, but what is the best advice that you've ever been given, or what advice do you have for listeners? I, don't, I think I've been given this advice, but I ignore it, because who takes other people's advice? But, <laughs> um... <laughs> so true. <laughs> just... Just do it. Just get it checked out. Just make the phone call. Just, you know, if you got a twinge in your elbow and it's been there for a month, go to, oh, see, I did it. Oh, we made it this whole time. We can, we can bleep. Right. Is a bleep okay? We can bleep that. Uh, if your elbow's been twingy for like two months, just go to the doctor. You know, like, does your tooth hurt? Go to the dentist. Just... Do you do want it earlier. funding for sea turtle rescue? Go to your member of Congress. Exactly. Just do the dang thing. Did you find it important? Write an email. Go for it. Everybody, thank you for listening to us for the past, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. Now go do, now go do it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever do it thing. is you've been putting off, go do it. And what Sarah and I are going to go do is probably eat some lunch and then get back on the road. Back on the road. We've got quite a big um, travel day ahead of us from uh, Richmond, Virginia. So we'll be going from Baltimore to Richmond and then Richmond to the Savannah, Georgia area. So um, we will, I am sure, be developing quite a bit of car content, <laughs> which will be a great time to follow along on our social media handles, which are Healthy Ocean Co. on Twitter and Healthy Ocean Coalition on Instagram. So, yeah, buckle up. Thanks for listening. See you soon.
Thank you to Amber and Maggie. Y'all are wonderful. This is fun. This is an absolute joy and gift. And we're so appreciative for this time together.